0: Hello, and welcome to the Golden Hour podcast with your amazing host, Anna Gold. We hope you enjoy the conversation and learn something new. We have an amazing show planned for you today, and who knows, we might play a game or two. Ladies and gentlemen, without further delay, here she is, the amazing Anna Gold.
1: All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. This is Anna Gold with the Golden Hour, and my guest is... Jerry Vasilatos. Did I say your name correctly, Jerry?
0: Oh, you said it perfectly, Anna. Thank you.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry is a director an editor. He's not an actor, but he's super cool either way. And I'm very, very, very glad to have him. Um, Jerry is, would you say Jerry that you're most famous for, uh, directing Solstice? Is that your key piece? (laughs)
0: you're being very kind. I don't know that I would qualify myself as famous. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's to date. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's been my signature project that I produced and directed many, many, many years ago as a launching point for myself as a director uh, and writer and producer. But I've done a lot since then. I'm just, I don't know that I'm I know that I'm not where I want to be um, based on that launch. But I've done a lot of stuff since then, working as a producer and an editor, not as much as a director, although that might change, hopefully, this next year. Yes. The project I'm doing. And then people will know me for the, the more current project that we're hoping to put into production. But I also... Oh, um, that's great. I, I think in Chicago, thankfully, I've managed to kind of, I think, establish myself a little bit as a social media personality by virtue of the fact that i host a youtube and rockfin live stream program called chicago corner Uh, and um we talk about news and stuff in chicago so that's been my focus through the pandemic as we've been waiting for things to settle down and you know get back out and do the things we would do in the field with with film and and media productions oh
1: yes when life is good again and full again and there aren't any more restrictions. I know what that's like. Uh, that's part yeah. of the reason that I started this podcast and I missed the industry so much. And I'm glad that you're back and you're in it. And can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, please? Like more, more about what you do and who you interview.
0: Yeah, what I'm currently doing. So uh, the name of the show is called Chicago Corner. And uh, what we do is we focus on news, politics, personalities, uh, people from the neighborhoods, people making difference and change throughout the city, whether it's in their civic action in their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, for the past two years, I've been hosting that show. We've primarily been doing news commentary and having guests that we find come on the show to talk about things that they're doing. For example, um, homeless advocates, people working in their communities to better their communities for the past four or five months though, we've really heavily shifted into covering the Chicago election cycle, primarily the okay. mayoral election, because I think as a lot of people who live in Chicago can attest, Lori, mm-hmm. life is a complete disaster. And <laughs> there's a great crop of <laughs> candidates who emerged that when you see them at their mayoral forums answering questions, they're very much in alignment on what we need to see happening in Chicago when it comes to reopening mental health clinics, uh, being more, proactive against crime by investing in communities to basically help people instead of overfunding the police, not not defunding them, but reallocating funds to try to get to the root sources of our, the social issues that we have throughout the city. So it's been very rewarding for me because I used to engage in my civic activism as a creative by That's joining mayoral, mayoral campaigns. For example, oh, I, I was the media producer for a candidate – uh in the last election cycle named Amara Enya because mm-hmm. she reflected my values I worked on media for her when she unfortunately dropped out of the race I shifted and started doing media for Bob Fioretti who was another progressive candidate but I
1: have heard of Bob uh, yeah. and and were these mayoral candidates
0: they so Bob was an alderman who ran uh-huh. for mayor and Amara Enya was a civic uh, activist and oh. both ended up um departing the mayoral race but you know, it gets really frustrating when you're putting all this time into supporting the candidate that reflects your values and when they have to drop out, it's mm-hmm. like, all right, I put all that time in, I invested all that time. It was a good time to invest, yes. but you don't see the real fruits of of your engagement and your efforts. So when mm-hmm. this program, Chicago Corner, dropped into my lap, I'm like, well, this is great. I can talk to all the candidates. Yes. If they're aldermanic candidates, as we have in several mm-hmm. interviews or... Mm-hmm. They are all candidates. And I have the opportunity now to present all the candidates, talk about the news as it relates to each candidate, to our viewers, engage oh. them, inform them, so that maybe the solution isn't working on one candidate's campaign, mm-hmm. but having an opportunity to present all the candidates and all their platforms, let my audience determine who reflects their values. I mean, I have some picks in this race that I, I really align with. I'm really a big fan of uh, Jamal Green. Mm-hmm. who's a South Side af- activist and entrepreneur who's running for mayor. I think he's got some really solid plans and we've had him on the show. And I always you know, lean towards him, although um, uh, Commissioner Brandon Johnson, who was recruited by the Chicago Teachers Union as a- another candidate, I think he's got some good ideas also. And listening to all the candidates at these mayoral forums mm-hmm. align with each other, and not acrimoniously, but it's good to hear conversations of people who are agreeing on what the solution should be in the light of Lori Lori Lightfoot, who is just, she ran as a progressive, she -hmm. ran as a reformer, and she's anything but. She bamboozled all of us, so she's gotta go. And uh, these other candidates that we're able to interview and talk about on our show, Mm -hmm. will hopefully uh, provide a solution that voters can make up their own minds.
1: Yes, that's smart to give voters the option. And what does the word acrimoniously mean?
0: (laughs) It means when you're fighting with each other
1: oh okay yeah
0: acrimony yeah it's like you know when when you hear when you hear candidates not discussing solutions but pointing the finger at each other and blaming each other that's you know and you see a lot of candidates do that but the candidates in this race although they don't always agree they're very polite and they Mm -hmm. actually do find common ground and point out the issues that lightfoot um has not delivered on that really impact uh, everyone in chicago but most egregiously uh, people in south and west side neighborhoods that she's pretty much turned her back on because she's more interested in uh, the money <laughs> corporations tourism mm-hmm. fixing the loop not putting money into these communities that you know you drive through them and some of them look like demilitarized zones it's heartbreaking
1: yeah it is i know it's like it's desolate in some parts and you know that the people who live there can't be that happy living like that um although i'm not them but i would say they need more help in those areas they definitely I do, do.
0: And, and, and when people say oh well you know people who live there it's their choice they're lazy they're this they're that it's like no <laughs> they're not when you consider that a lot of young kids who unfortunately turn to crime it's mm-hmm. because they are desperate and mm-hmm. so more of them than less are growing up in households with parents who were abused and neglected by their parents so oh. you're seeing a generational cycle of kids today that yeah. don't support or the or you know um, good parenting that you and I hopefully and I, 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 I can speak to my uh, to my experience that we had with uh-huh. parents that, that taught us better a yes. lot of kids in these these neighborhoods that are impacted their parents suffered right so oh. we've seen a cycle of abuse that's not been uh, that's not been tended to and mm-hmm. you know when you get to the heart of it if you can figure out how to provide support, a treatment not trauma, to these younger kids and you give them opportunities they're not going to want to drift towards crime that's not a choice that's desperation because they don't have any opportunities their communities are abandoned and that's what a lot of people in you know the north side more privileged dare i say white neighborhoods Uh take themselves out of their own shoes and understand because unfortunately we're pitted against each other with what we also hear through the news so things are much grayer and complicated anna than you know people are able to filter watching mainstream news, especially as it relates to politics, and even not so much politics, but um, uh, issues facing uh, our our fellow citizens and residents here in the city.
1: Oh, I understand. And I'm glad that you're here for us to give us the news and information as it is, instead of, I don't know, as some people want it to be. (laughs) Um, And Jerry, now you're doing a podcast, but how did you start out in the industry? Like what was your very first job or what piqued your interest about entertainment?
0: Um, since you're editing this, could you repeat that? Cause a call came in and unfortunately oh. it, 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 no, no, but it, it didn't cut me off. But what it did was I couldn't hear uh, the lead in um, after you asked, I, I, you thanked me for being involved in news.
1: Oh, okay. Um, what I asked was, Right. Okay. Right now you're doing a podcast called Chicago Corner TV, but what got you started in the entertainment industry? What made you interested in entertaining others?
0: Uh, wow. Let me, let me dig really, really far back. Um, I was very lucky growing up Mm -hmm. to have a father that introduced me to movies and cinema. My father worked at a company called Bell and Howell. And what my dad did was as an industrial designer, he would design uh, movie projector cabinets and the mechanics of movie projectors. So he would bring home a 60, he owned a 16 millimeter movie projector, you know, from where he worked and uh, help design. And we would routinely, this is in the days before home video, rent 16 millimeter movies, full feature films from the library, the Wilmette oh. library where I grew up, put a sheet up on the wall in the basement, uh-huh. and introduced me to movies, uh, me and my brother and my sisters. We would watch, you know, older films, whether it was It's a Wonderful Life, Casablanca, The Guns of Navarone, all uh-huh. old Laurel and Hardy comedies. Oh, my dad Laurel and Hardy? A, yeah, yeah. My dad had a cool. Real, yeah, my dad had a real love for cinema uh, uh-huh. growing up. And so, you know, more as entertainment. But as he introduced us to these, you know, great films that he grew up with, I – as a creative, as somebody, as a kid who liked to draw, I was very withdrawn. I would be, and and with a very, very active imagination. Mm -hmm. I think I was very drawn and uh, intrigued by this medium by which you have the opportunity to take what you're imagining in your head and present it Mm -hmm. to audiences. And that first manifested with me uh, pursuing art and drawing. I was a big comic book fan.
1: Oh, so you uh, weren't interested in just directing at an early age? You also drew, like
0: an. Well, I wasn't artist. interested in directing at an early age. I was interested in drawing. Oh. But by virtue of taking a um, taking drawing class and and basically developing my skills as an artist and illustrator, I mean, I wouldn't even call myself an artist, but I like to draw. I like mm-hmm. to draw superheroes. I like to draw comic book type stuff. But when you realize that the panels of a comic book in telling a story, mm-hmm. uh, I would get really worn out cause it's very, very repetitive. It's very hard. And it takes a lot of discipline to draw over and over again and, and keep it, it really, really strong. Yeah. And so I realized that comic books are very similar to storyboards and storyboards are used in films. Mm-hmm. It's a plan filming. It's, and they look like comic books. It's a, it, when you see a movie and you watch a scene, but like for example, mm-hmm. one of my favorites, Uh, Let's talk about the uh, truck chase in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Every (laughs) shot in that scene was drawn on paper to help the director, Steven Spielberg, go to the set, show his cinematographer, show his crew, Mm -hmm. each shot in the sequence so they could set up. And he literally had the film edited ahead of time on paper so that they would then catch those shots or or collect those shots Mm -hmm. for the editor. So I'm realizing, wow, comic books are like filmmaking because there's that planning and storyboard component. So when I was in high school, I took a Super 8 uh, filmmaking class, luckily, Mm -hmm. one of the high schools that had a film course for kids, and we would have Super 8 cameras, we'd go out and shoot things, we would storyboard things, and then I would take the physical Super 8 film and edit in the little, uh, studio space we had in the basement at Trier High School. So oh, wow. all, of my, all of my creative interests kind of culminated from liking art and recognizing there was a different direction to take this idea of uh, the conventions of comic book storytelling frame to frame and realizing frame to frame, or at least in this case, scene to scene. That's how you tell a story on film. So it went from artwork to, mm-hmm. to, to comic book illustrations, to storyboarding and understanding how that uh, framework actually serves the planning of a film, which is motion storytelling. And then that's when I kind of caught the bug and realized, wow, I, I can do what uh, I can create stuff like the stuff my dad showed us in the basement in those movies and actually you know, make movies. So that and of course, you know, at a very formative age, like a lot of guys mm-hmm. my age, I saw Star Wars. <laughs> um, or before that, the year before uh, the remake of King Kong with Jessica Lange and Jeff oh. Bridges, and I was just captivated. I was a very imaginative kid. So Star Wars comes out, and you're like, I want to like make that. I want to be involved in that. So those were also creative sparks of inspiration that ultimately led me to discover other great directors and more dramatic films, like whether it was Oliver Stone or Martin Scorsese, or to this day, you know, appreciate David Fincher, uh, James Mangold, uh, but it all came from that germ of, of, of an idea of, like, this is what's possible with your creativity and imagination from that kind of, I guess you would want to call it a fine arts foundation.
1: Yes. Um, and what was it that you said earlier that films are moving? Pictures is that is
0: that the quote that you said? Well, yeah, they are. I mean, yeah, films kind of operate in telling a story in a similar way that that comic books do, but films Uh are able to give you more visual information than what's limited in a comic book panel. Although the whole idea of comic book panels translates, you know, very closely to storyboards that are used to plan and and shoot scenes for movies.
1: Yes, it, that seems like a natural transition. How you went from art to comic books to storyboarding to directing and and so on. And speaking of which, uh, you have a film that is going to Sundance. Is that right?
0: No, no, I don't have a film going to Sundance. I have a script. So, yeah, I'm actually going to Sundance this this Saturday through Monday. Uh, no, I'm wow. sorry, Saturday through Tuesday, for a, a script that I co wrote that uh-huh. has won some awards. In the wow. previous like five years and i'm going out there with an executive producer named mike anderson of real path media who's uh-huh. helping me develop and put the financing together for it so wow. we're going there to just kind of network and schmooze with um, <laughs> distributors production people studios to see if we can put the rest of um the financing together for this so that perhaps i will talk with you in a year and uh-huh. say yeah shelter me the name of the film Mm -hmm. was produced and made and maybe gonna be nice to go back and have it seen at Sundance I don't know if yeah that's too much to hope for uh, at the very least to get another film done uh, after waiting so many years since my first film Solstice which um, was the film you mentioned at the beginning of the program that ended up on Lifetime television many many years ago
1: oh that's nice Jerry yes Solstice is very heartwarming and you know what I really liked about the film how the the music really went well with the film itself i don't know how you did that i felt like the the music moved me and i was like wow i want to watch this scene because the tune of this song is so great and i'm so involved how did you coordinate the music with the emotion of the film
0: funny you funny you mentioned that because Mm -hmm. when solstice was first produced and presented back in 1994 on lifetime television now remember, this is in the days before digital, and oh, well, yes. mo- yeah, well, when we shot it on sixteen millimeter film, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, as it was shot on sixteen millimeter film, and um, and it ended up being delivered to Lifetime Television when producers rep got it on their radar to showcase, mm-hmm. it was delivered to them on, um, I believe it was three quarter inch broadcast master tape, because right? that's oh, how you wow. deliver stuff to. So at that time. Um,
1: is that a timeout? Sorry. I need to know this is, is a three quarter master tape. Is that like a video cassette tape, but thicker, wider?
0: Actually, my mistake. I think it was one inch reel to reel. It was a one inch broadcast master. I think it was one inch tape. Yeah.
1: Uh Oh, so is that like a video video cassette, but bigger?
0: Well, it's the same. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's wider tape to accommodate A better resolution picture for broadcast, but you remember that was in the age of tube TVs. So Mm -hmm. when I when I originally produced Solstice, and Mm -hmm. you know I was on a I was on a I don't want to say it was a limited budget, but I spent one hundred and thirty thousand dollars of a two hundred thousand dollar personal injury settlement that I received Mm -hmm. from an accident that I unfortunately uh, was involved in. And I figured, you know, no one's gonna give me the money to make a movie, so I'll put my money where my mouth is and I'll produce the <laughs> film. Oh. Which job. yeah, well I you know, I, I I I was so busy writing checks to make the movie you know, at the end of it, my friends were like, you know, you, how are you going to, like, make this money back? And I was all about the art of making it. And they're like, no, no, Jerry, you need to make some of your money back. So <laughs> luckily I got a producer's rep who pitched it to many networks and got it on Lifetime. But, oh. you know, I was burning through money making that movie. And by the time we were in post-production, mm-hmm. you know, I always had imagined I wanted this very lush orchestral score and when I edited the film, I was using what we call temporary music tracks from other existing movies. I was Hi. using temp tracks by John Williams from Empire of the Sun. I was using some temp tracks from the movie Hoffa with Jack Nicholson that were composed by oh um, uh, my David Newman, who was a very famous composer. So I had all this temp music from big movies in my film. Of course, I couldn't afford to license those tracks, so I had. I was
1: just going to ask you how you licensed that. <laughs> well,
0: I, I, we didn't. So I used those as a guide for the composer at that time mm-hmm. to to compose what we call a synthesized score, and that meant we didn't have an orchestra. Mm-hmm. He was creating the music for Solstice based on those inspirational music tracks for my film. Oh synthetically with synthetic instruments and i never liked it Mm -hmm. uh you know it it served the film at that time Mm -hmm. but to this day or at least up until 2016 Mm -hmm. i was never happy with the musical score so fast forward to today or at least Mm -hmm. 2016 and i'd always had people ask me to watch my movie which was on dvd and Mm -hmm. anna the the dvd version of the movie which had been uh, which had been mastered from that one inch broadcast master back in nineteen ninety-four. Mm-hmm. If you put a DVD in a player on an HD TV set that is mastered from a one inch broadcast tape from nineteen ninety-three, it looks horrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would Even say it that... sounds a lot different. <laughs> right.
0: Even though at that time it was the best format for the resolution of video we had with old tube TVs,
1: mm-hmm. I didn't
0: want to show my movie to anybody as proud as I was of it, because it's like, it, it looked really bad. So- well, in,
1: well, that's fair. I'm pretty specific when it comes to yeah. my art too. Yeah.
0: We want it to look the best that it can. So mm-hmm. I realized I I had all the original negative elements. I had all of the original master reel-to-reel tape recordings uh, that we recorded in the field on location. All of this was analog. Yeah. And I, I embarked on a crowdfunding campaign to raise money, to restore the film, and by restore the film, I mean have the original negative camera negative scanned mm-hmm. in 2K resolution, which is the standard now for HD television sets, as uh, well what, as com-
1: what does complete- 2K mean for layman's terms? How does that so 2K translate?
0: 2K means when you're looking at your TV set. Uh, if we if we backtrack to the days that you and I watch TV, we'd have a four x three TV set, right? Mm-hmm. And there are only so many lines of resolution that help you s- help present the detail of the picture. Mm-hmm. Well, there were limitations back in 1994 with broadcast TVs. They only had so many lines of resolution. And I don't remember what the lines of resolution were, but I believe if I'm speaking correctly, 2K means there's 2,000 lines of resolution in the picture, which can give you much more information and much more detail. Wow. Uh, for what we see on HDTVs. Now, there's actually 4K resolution, which is 4,000. And I'm not sure if it's lines of resolution or pixels per inch. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's the technical stuff I'm, I'm not that well-versed on. But I do know that I needed to have the 16-millimeter the negative element, which came out mm-hmm. of the camera. Negative means that film that came out of the camera. And I had to have it scanned uh, in a high resolution to digitally clean it up and mm-hmm. have it scanned at a large enough frame size that when you now saw it on TV, you you captured and retained all of the detail that was on that camera negative. So oh. this required money, <laughs> this oh, required yes. some financing. So the crowdfunding was to raise the money to do the scan, which I, I managed. I think we raised $13,000 to $15,000 in crowdfunding because I, I went and investigated, what is this going to cost to do so I can basically remaster my movie and be able to present it now on HDTV sets so that it looks nice. So I, r- I raised 15, 14, 13, well, 12000 twelve to $15,000, mm-hmm. and I had the film scanned. And what I did was I literally had that digital copy of my film in a really good resolution, and I used a cleanup program uh, on my computer. What was the name of it? Um, it's called Pixel Farm Clean. No, it's not
1: really called Pixel Farm, is
0: it? It is, because what you're doing is you are, Uh uh, you're farming all of the pixels in the video image to clean Mm -hmm. up the quality of that image. So the software was called Pixel Farm. I think it it may have been Restore, or Pixel Farm Clean. It's a proprietary name. But what it allowed me to do was frame by frame. Go through my movie, and there were scenes in my film that may have had a line in the picture, or you know, dirt in the camera, uh, in the camera shutter that you'd see on the negative. So I was able to digitally clean up, and digitally, it's like for anybody who's used Photoshop, you can uh-huh. use the cloning uh-huh. tool or you can use the touch-up tool to clean up a still image. Uh-huh. This software allowed me to like look at one frame uh-huh. that maybe had some dirt or a line through it, choose the frame in front of or after that frame that might not have had the mark in it and clone it to basically clean up the frame that has the damage
1: wow it was that, like sounds, a, that sounds super it's like yeah, an it's ideal like a, situation it's
0: like a, yeah it's a movie photoshop program so nice. after i was nice. able to clean up the image and mm-hmm. make it all nice and i had a colorist regrade the film basically recolor, to, re-color corrected mm-hmm. uh to, to have the balance of color and everything else i wanted I'm like, I went this far and believe me, Anna, I'm getting back to your original question about the music. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) I got this far, the picture looks beautiful. My sound engineer was able to like transfer all the original analog reel-to-reel tapes to digital and do a really nice sound mix. I hated that music. I've got some extra money here. Okay. How can I have it scored with a real orchestra like I always wanted to? Oh, that's nice. Enter uh, Balint Sepson of a uh, recording studio in Budapest, Hungary, called Budapest Scoring. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten a solicitation from Budapest Scoring years before I decided to embark on this restoration. And mm-hmm. what they were soliciting was affordable music scoring services for independent films with an orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I went back in my email and I found that email mm-hmm. and I reached out to them. And I went to their website, and I heard the orchestra performing a specific piece of music that I felt. I'm like, whoever composes, that's the guy I want. Oh, wow. And it turned out to be the guy who ran the studio. He was also oh. a composer. So uh, how tried,
1: how did you think of them after so many years? You could have well, had anybody. They'd,
0: they'd sent me an email. I mean, I because legitimately, Anna, there's no way I could have afforded a composer or, or an orchestra here in the United States. Forget it. Unless you've got millions of dollars, you can't do it. You really – obviously, can't do it without – A huge budget, but I had like I I reached out to Bali and I told him i've got this old project i'm restoring it's an older film. Mm -hmm. But this version is going to be the version that's that exists from here on out, you know Mm -hmm. the way it's supposed to look and he quoted me a rate that i'm like I can afford that so. I gave him uh, the restored picture with all of the, not the original music tracks that I couldn't stand, but I went back to the temp tracks of John Williams and David Newman. And I said, I don't want you to copy their music, but I want you to create music that resonates the same emotion that I, I underscored the film back in 1993 Mm -hmm. as a guide for that composer, which wasn't that successful. So Balint listened to, these temp tracks against Mm -hmm. the newly restored picture of the film. Mm -hmm. And he composed this new score and I got the opportunity to fly out to Budapest, Hungary and attend the recording sessions with the orchestra.
1: Were you able, Jerry, to direct them at all or like, uh, no,
0: no, that wasn't my, I was, I was working very closely with Balint. That's not a place where the director works, but Mm -hmm. it was my relationship with Balint who was very finely tuned into what I wanted. In fact, uh, there's a nice little piece on the on the Blu-ray that we released that talks about the restoration of the film. And there's an interview with Balint. Then there's footage of me uh, and him in Budapest during the scoring sessions with, I think it had to be like a 40 piece orchestra.
1: Oh, wow. That's super. Um, I'm glad that you afforded that and that people were able to fund. That's a wonderful way to spend money to fund something as wonderful as a, an orchestra for your film. That's great.
0: Well, an Um, orchestral score makes a big difference because if you take the music away from any movie, Mm -hmm. you're going to realize that the music is the heart of the film. It supports the performances. It supports the cinematography. And I'll give you a quick example for your listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, Go on to YouTube, everybody, after you listen to this interview, and Mm -hmm. go look for the original trailer to Star Wars that was released in 1977. It did not have John Williams's music. It had uh, public domain music from classical pieces like uh The Planets by Holst and and you but it didn't fit the trailer. It's like okay mm-hmm. what is this? This music doesn't really have an emotional resonance. And mm-hmm. a lot of people who saw the trailer, you know, just was like, what the hell is this? This I'm I'm not interested <laughs> in this movie. Then you go see Star Wars with John Williams's specifically composed orchestral score, and you realize where you saw the trailer without his music, and you just like were willing to, were ready to just like pass it off and not like, be interested in it. Mm-hmm. You understand how music is such an integral and crucial part of the filmmaking process because Williams's score for Star Wars gave it the heart and the spirit of mm-hmm. what that movie was about, along with the performances and the great effects. But oh, the yes, music there is were great feels- effects. Yeah, the music is what pulls on our heartstrings. So mm-hmm. I'm really gratified to hear uh, that you loved the music for Solstice because oh, I don't yes. know that you would have loved the original music <laughs> that we ended up replacing. And that was a big part of restoring that film for its 2018 anniversary release was I have a chance to, like, do it the way I wanted to in 93, mm-hmm. and I'm going to mm-hmm. go as far as have it scored with the type of music I want. And um, everybody who's watching it, including the original uh, cast members, I remember doing an interview, for the Blu-ray with Mike Kelly, who played the lead role of Nick. And he was talking about in, the, in an interview, yeah, Jerry just sent me the new musical tracks. And it's just like, it's that little thing that was missing the first time out. It didn't matter then, but now it really feels like it's finished because it gives it the emotional resonance and and, and really the heart of the movie to underscore everybody's great performance. And, you know, what we did when we, when we composed the, uh, the scenes and, and shot here in Chicago back in 1992 and 93 uh, for this Christmas movie.
1: Oh, that's great! Well, thank you for sharing that, Jerry. And now it's a my long next... story,
0: but it, got, <laughs> it answered the music question, didn't it?
1: <laughs> and I learned about film scoring myself, and I didn't know that you could hire someone from a different country to do that. Honestly, I never thought about that.
0: But well, that's... a lot of I will tell you too. A lot of American produced films they will go shoot, They will go uh, have music soundtracks uh, scored in other countries because actually, other countries cost less. Than the united states so based on a budget like for example you know a film here might have a limited budget and they want that orchestral score but I, i'm not knocking unions but union rates here in the united states for the musicians in a to, to record in a studio in an orchestra here might be a little bit outside the budget of the filmmakers and there's also the monetary the dollar exchange rate with other countries so there oh, no. are Studio services, recording studios and orchestras in other countries that routinely will score will provide the uh, the, uh, the the scoring and the musicians to record in other countries, bring that music here and then, you know, drop it in the post production during the editing and accomplish the same thing.
1: Oh, yes. I do know a guy, well, two guys who run a company in Chicago called Mind Exchange Music. And I know that they compose for movies and edit sound and score and all that stuff. And I, I, yeah, I just, I'm really curious about all the elements of how music goes into film and how how you coordinate the motion of the picture with the motion of the sound. I don't know. It's fascinating
0: to me. Well. (laughs) You don't have the advantage of having the music to cut the film to. What you do is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you cut your picture and then you let a composer present musical sketches, like ideas, uh, you know, maybe that they compose on their computer, like synthetic music Uh to give you an idea so that they can then record it with an orchestra. Now, in this case, though, I will say there are some editors who will cut a scene to... Temp track again. There's a scene in Solstice that, uh, if you remember the film, it's the main character Nick driving through Chicago neighborhoods on Christmas Eve, and it's a it's a montage scene. But I cut that scene to a piece of music that John Williams composed for Empire of the Sun, and M- Williams's music that was all, only meant as a temp track helped guide the rhythm of that scene and build and escalate to its conclusion. So, you know, it helped guide that montage, and then when the film was finished and i gave it to a composer i'm like listen to john williams's piece of music that i put in there as a temporary track as a as, an, as a rhythm rhythmic reference and an emotional reference and you know we don't need to worry about the rhythm anymore because that's in the montage that i cut but if you can replicate the emotions that you feel when you watch mm-hmm. the scenes of that music that's what we need so temp tracks are uh, helpful either during, a, during the cutting of a film or at least afterwards. Like there were scenes in the film that I had not temp track, but I went and found a piece of music by a composer of a film that we've known and put it in there. And I'm like, this is kind of what we need. This is the emotional resonance that I borrowed from another movie that you need to replicate with an original musical theme that helps tug the heartstrings the way that this musical theme does. But it's got to be kind of different
1: yes oh yeah you can't copy (laughs) but no that's great jerry and are you ready to play mark ruffalo trivia can you guess (laughs)
0: yeah yeah you know why i chose mark as a favorite actor um i really loved his performance in the movie zodiac by david fincher which was about zodiac killings in san francisco and he played which was inspired by a true crime story and uh, ruffalo played the played the character inspired by uh the detective who was assigned to that case but i've seen a lot of other Mark ruffalo movies that i've enjoyed so uh, hopefully i will be up to date on the ruffalo trivia that you (laughs) presented
1: okay i hope so too let's try this first one out uh, so these are multiple choice questions, and I'll give you five. And if you guess enough, right, I'll, I'll, I might send you a prize. You never know. <laughs> okay. In which state, in which of the following states was Mark Ruffalo born? Was Mark born in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, or North Carolina? We repeat them again. Uh was Mark Wisconsin. Ruffalo born in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, or North Carolina?
0: I want to, I think Wisconsin.
1: Yes, you're right. Uh-huh. The state just above this
0: one. <laughs> yes.
1: All right. Good job.
0: He, he has a very Midwestern sensibility. That's what made narrowing that down easier.
1: Yeah, I guess he does, doesn't he? He uh He seems like the Italian Midwesterner that we all see around.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yes. I mean, I know there's a lot of Italians in Chicago and I'm one, uh, but, or part partially anyway. Okay. So the next question is what is Mark Ruffalo's full name? Is it Mark Allen Ruffalo, Mark Steve Ruffalo, Mark John Ruffalo or Mark Alex Ruffalo?
0: I'm completely guessing here. Mark Allen,
1: (laughs) Mark Allen. Let's see it. Oh, you are correct. Wow,
0: I guess his parents gave a rhythm to his name that I would have given him.
1: (laughs) Ah, that's what they were thinking. Now, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't think about the rhythm of it, but that does make sense Um, for which question. Number three is for which on-screen character did Mark Ruffalo gain international recognition? Was it Terry and You Can Count On Me in the year 2000? Was it Bruce Banner in Hulk, the Marvel Universe? Was it Chuck in Shutter Island? Or was it Paul Hatfield and The Kids Are All Right? So, Terry,
0: it's it's Bruce Banner. It's Bruce. Bruce I mean, that's the international exposure right there with the Marvel films.
1: Oh, you one would think, yeah. Um, just one minute, let me let me see if that's right. It is right. Wow, you're 3 for 3. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know a lot about Mark Ruffalo and I do too now. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, it looks like he won an Emmy. Uh, so for which on-screen movie did Mark Ruffalo won the primetime Emmy Award for outstanding actor in a limited series? Uh, was that for You Can Count on Me, The Avengers? Adventures end game, or I know this much is true. For which of those did he win an Emmy?
0: What was the first uh, choice?
1: Um, you can count on me The Avengers, Avengers end game, or I know this much is true.
0: Well, I know the Avengers movies were not television programs, so they were not, um, they were not eligible for Emmys. Actually, um, um,
1: it, oh. sorry, I should clarify this question. It does say, uh, Outstanding Actor in a Limited Series or Movie Award.
0: Oh, or Movie. Okay, uh-huh. okay. Um, okay.
1: I don't know the answer to this any more than you do. I'm just
0: – Well, I'm, I'm going to take, take a guess here, and I'm not even remember the t- – but I don't think it's the first one. I think it's the last one. What was the title of the last one?
1: I know this much is true.
0: And I'm going based on the title, thinking it's like a really strong, dramatic project. So let's see if we're right.
1: It sounds like it. Yeah, let's see. This is question number four. Yeah. Wow. You're right. Four out oh, of four. Can you guess one more, right? Let's see.
0: <laughs> I've only, so far there've been two guesses and two actual, I well, actually three guesses, but the one about Wisconsin was because he's a Midwestern boy like me. So.
1: Ah, I'm good job. He has that, that
0: decent sensibility in him. I, I, I like to hope that I have.
1: <laughs> yes, you do. That's part of why I'm interviewing you because oh, you're strong. You, you're welcome. And I know that Midwestern sensibility. I'm from Illinois. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. Which is the last question, Jerry, that you want to answer? Do you want to answer a question about when did he get married and which year, or do you want to answer how many times has he been, let's see, nominated for an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, or Tony? Uh, either you can, you could choose your last question.
0: Wow. Um, and this'll be a total guess. Uh, let's go with marriage.
1: Okay. Uh, Let's see here. Here it is. In which year did Mark Ruffalo marry Sunrise? Oh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his wife's last name. Sunrise, I think it's Kony. Did they get married in 1998? In the year 2000? 2002?
0: Or 2004? I'm going to say
1: 2004. Okay, let's try it out. Oh, it's wrong. Sorry, oh, when did they it's tie in the out? year in the year two thousand. So earlier, the,
0: yeah, I thought I figured he had stayed single for a while, because um, he would have been very young in two. He would have gotten very, gotten married pretty young in two thousand. So well, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's still, I'm still uh, up on the other ones, but if I didn't win some all, I guess I get no prize. But it was fun.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you get a prize for being on the show, silly. I just did that. So you'd play along, <laughs>
0: Okay.
1: Uh, but no, honestly, that was very good. You got four out of five, right? And I'm happy for that. And I loved having you on the show, Jerry. Is there anything more that you'd like to say about your current productions, what you're promoting or anything that you would like people to see that you have done? Okay.
0: Another aspect in a wrap-up here that a lot of people don't know about me, but I'm very proud of, is that I'm also, uh, along with my father, the inventor
1: uh-huh. of
0: a product really? uh, that helps people who use canes and crutches, canes or crutches, and it is a crutch and cane tip attachment called the Easy Walk Sand Pad. And um, the, the, uh, the the solution that this product offers for cane and crutch users because I am a cane and crutch user. I mentioned earlier in the interview that I funded my first film Solstice with the money from a personal injury settlement. Uh, I lost my leg above the knee in that accident. So as I've lived with a disability, Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I love doing is swimming. And you can't get across the beach very easily on your crutches without your prosthetic limb on to get to the water. So uh, I wanna say like maybe 15 years ago, I conceived of a of a of a product idea with my dad, who's an industrial designer, uh-huh. uh, and it's basically like a saucer shaped uh, attachment that has you know the, the the fitting that will that will connect to a cane or crutch. And what it does is it allows cane and crutch users to not only get across sand mm-hmm. on their crutches or their cane, but uh, wet grass, mud, snow, as well as regular flat surfaces. So it's basically oh, no. like the be-all, do-all for cane and crutch users that, you know, if they only have a regular cane tip that can sink in the sand or sink in the wet grass or mud, this basically helps give you the support that you won't sink and you have more stable foundation as you're engaged in um, any kind of activities, whether it's, uh, I don't want to say athletic, but, but uh, you know, it. it, it uh, uh, and this is something you'll probably edit. Everyday uh, every, every okay. Everyday activities. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a website. It's at www.ezwalkpads.com. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there and you find that some of your mobility is challenged uh, with your existing cane or crutch tips, mm-hmm. check out easywalkpads.com and you can find our product, which has sold over 20,000 units through Amazon and our website. It's a very well uh reviewed product for cane and crutch users who've had the opportunity to use them our, our great customer base um and yeah that's something that i i did on the side along with my other activities as a producer director the film i'm going to be pitching at sundance uh this weekend is called shelter me oh, and wow. um it's a dramatic suspense thriller and hopefully you know when i talk with you again in the future we'll be in production or have it to show and Uh, people can find me and everything i do on my websites jerryvasilatos.com
1: and how do you you spell vasilatos for the listeners
0: yeah uh and you can also link it in the 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 interview description it's uh, Mm -hmm. J E R R Y -hmm. V as in victor a s like sam i-l-a-t-o-s com, or Mm -hmm. you can visit my production company website nightstar productions and that's at nightstar.com but nightstar is spelled n-i-t-e-s-t-a-r.com
1: oh yeah like the night star in your film right solstice
0: exactly and that's you can always cool. find me tuesdays and fridays hosting chicago corner at seven thirty on youtube or at chicagocornertv.com
1: woohoo let's listen to him guys support jerry vasalatos <laughs>
0: make sure to like and subscribe we want to we've got i think almost i think we're at f- over 1500 subscribers now Mm-hmm. Uh, So if you like the show, and we hope you do, um, mm-hmm. please like and subscribe and share us so that we can build our audience here in Chicago of people to find a nice uh, commentary show uh, looking at what's happening here locally.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Jerry really helps out with the political climate there and encouraging the right things. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. It's been a pleasure having you, Jerry, and I wish you a good day. Thank you very much.
0: Anna, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best with all the adventures, including this wonderful podcast that you produce. This has been the Golden Hour podcast with your host, Anna Gold. We invite you to come back next time for more laughs, fascinating guests, and most importantly, movie trivia. Think of her next time you watch The Sunset or Chugger V8. Don't forget to find her on Instagram and take a peek at her profile on IMDb. Until next time, stay golden.